Hi, Mimi Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 KRC radio show exclusively for this podcast. Congress is gearing up to pass a $3.5 trillion spending bill. Steve and I dive into how the new federal budget could change Medicare and how you can prepare as an investor for potential future tax increases. We also talk about the class action settlement that big banks are paying for manipulating the gold market and why inflation is outpacing junk bond payments. Finally, I interview Carla Messer, the chief results officer at BestWork and an assistant professor at Indiana University, about building your career resilience. Congressional Democrats are getting ready to pass a $3.5 trillion spending plan, and it could mean some major changes for Medicare and your wallet. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. I don't know, Spro. What's another few <laughs> trillion at this oh, point? Oh, man. Yeah, this is it's really driving me nuts. I, I mean, I, I have a short fuse on political discussion anyway, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and OK, fine. Everybody kind of got their act together and and looks like they're moving forward with this reduced infrastructure bill. Not many people can can disagree that, uh, yeah, roads need fixing, bridges, Brent Spence need, need replacing. Yes. And so instead of two trillion dollars, they knock that down to uh, five, whatever, 560 billion or whatever the number is. But now now they're going ahead and saying, OK, everything that was left out of that nice bipartisan compromise that's a bill that's going to be passed the way a bill is supposed to be passed. Everything that's out of that is going to be added to the rest of our wish list that was part of that second $2 trillion package to make it a $3.5 trillion package. And we're going to blow this thing through with reconciliation. We don't need any Republican votes. Um, do I sound a little angry? Maybe a <laughs> you little? Sound, you sound frustrated. I think yeah, we all are word. with Washington. And, oh, and maybe man. this will make you feel a little better. But the potential price tag of this at some points was like $6 trillion. So, you know, what's oh, near 3.5? Me yeah, that makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> Bernie. Bernie Sanders wanted six trillion, so oh no, he knocked it down to three and a half trillion, and he's happy with that. We don't have that kind of money. We're no. overspent as it is. I, I mean, it's it's. I'm sorry. I, I'll calm down. It's, it's getting okay. ridiculous. It, 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 it's it's it is what it is, I yeah. guess, at this point. Um, and you mentioned too that they're going to get it through try to get it through via budget reconciliation. But listen, that means every single Democrat, yeah. right, in the Senate has yeah. to vote for this. And I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, middle of the road Democrats, less progressive ones who are not so on board. So this is not a done deal. It's not a gimme. You know, and and that's the main thing to keep in mind tonight as we discuss this. Listen, this is not a definitive. This is coming down the pikeway, but it is something that looks like it's coming closer to maybe being something that we need to think about. And and one of the interesting things, and of course, we're into money, we're into retirement, we're into how these things affect you, is a proposal in this legislation for Medicare, which would then include dental, hearing and vision benefits. Yeah. If you're a Medicare recipient. Yeah, and, and that's uh, anybody who is on Medicare knows that all you need is some pretty serious dental work or a, yes. a new set of hearing aids or, or uh, you know, new pair of eyeglasses. But in particular, dental work uh, that well almost bankrupted my dad. I, I mean, he really? had to spend 11 grand right after he retired on dental work. And this is years ago. And, and, you know, that that wiped a big chunk of his savings out. So, you know, yeah, everybody would agree that those are good items. That doesn't add up to three and a half trillion dollars. That's a yeah. small piece of the puzzle. 
Well, and as we talk about, though, that small piece of the puzzle, what it also doesn't include, which President Biden did talk about on the campaign trail when it came to Medicare, was lowering the age that you're eligible to claim Medicare to 60. And Steve, regardless of where someone falls politically, we see people in the office at Allworth all the time that this would be a game changer for. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest question I get when somebody is thinking about retiring before age 65 is, um, how much is health care going to cost? Yeah. Can I do this? Yeah. The answer is a lot. I mean, it's, you know, when uh, some people have researched it, but, you know, when you start saying, you know, for a a married couple, it may be a thousand, twelve hundred bucks a month. You're kidding me. Yeah, no, that's that's what private health insurance may very well cost for for the average uh, person. Yeah, it's only until you turn 65 and you're eligible for Medicare and then the cost out of pocket at, at least drop considerably. But, yeah, you know, I'm not sure what's going to wind up being in this because this proposal was just reached last night. And guess what? They ain't releasing any details. They're not telling us what's in it. I hope they do, because it would be nice to know what's being shoved down our throats. But, you know, they they don't have any details out at this point. I, I And, you know, it's a kind of thing that I think they would provide details if everybody was in agreement. This is the best bill that was ever devised. You know, I... I, I, I when, when there's no transparency, I'm a little skeptical of what's in it. I, Details will probably trickle out in the coming days. Oh, yeah. You're listening yeah. to Simply Money here on 55 KRSD as we talk about this new $3.5 trillion spending plan. What's in it? Well, we don't know much. Maybe just these details about Medicare at this point, but also... How are we going to pay for this as taxpayers? Well, all that we're hearing right now is that there's a plan to pay for it. We just don't know what the plan is. Yeah, well, raising taxes. (laughs) I I mean, that's kind of a gimme. Uh, But, you know, they're talking about raising taxes on individuals making more than 400 grand a year. Okay, it doesn't affect me. Doesn't I don't think it affects you, does it? Does not. Are are you in the clear on this by a couple bucks? Yeah, I I wish I was sweating this one, but I'm not. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) And and raising corporate taxes, and and, you know, there's a big push on corporations are bad. They need to be taxed more. And yeah, there's some companies that that have gotten away with you know tax murder uh, over the years and paying very very little tax. Uh, in mo- you know, in everything I've read legally, so to me, it's changed a lot and increased uh, tax revenues. But uh, you, you know, they're they're going to raise taxes. But I, you know, I don't see any way that those two items are going to add up to three and a half trillion dollars. You, you could tax individuals over four hundred grand at one hundred percent and just say you don't need more than four hundred thousand a year. Let's you can't keep anything over four hundred. Let's say that will not put a dent in the deficit in this country. It, it, it's it make it sounds good. It plays well, but I'm kind of good with numbers. That's why I do what I do. It doesn't <laughs> add up. It doesn't add up. You know, sometimes you look at, you know, the people who are on these committees who make up these projections, and it's like the equivalent of saying, okay, I live in Erlanger, so I've decided that, you know, Amy Wagner, the mayor of Erlanger, I've just promoted myself here, (laughs) I'm going to build this big new city building. How am I going to pay for it? Well, I projected that lemonade stand sales, right, will actually cover this. Well, everyone knows lemonade stand sales are not going to cover it, but there's a way in numbers where you can make it look like that. And and so if you're going to tax people who are making over 400,000 and major corporations, uh, then the numbers don't add up. If you're thinking, okay, then what does this mean to me? Well, 
It's expected to include some language that's going to prohibit any kind of tax increases on small businesses. Which yeah. think about these poor small businesses that have just come through this pandemic. Yeah. I mean, for those that are you know still up and operating, they don't need to be hit by another whammy at this point. And then apparently it says people making less than four hundred thousand again. Yeah. This is not a bill. This is not, or this is not a law yet. This is still、right. a bill. This is still proposed legislation. Who knows how it's all going to shake you're, you're out? Ta- you're talking me off the ledge, so okay, I'm calming down a little bit. But, <laughs> but you know, in, in all seriousness, it, this it's far from a done deal. I mean, again, this was just an internal agreement made by Democrats late last night.、Um, the two most important people over the next couple days, couple weeks, are going to be Joe Manchin of、yeah. West Virginia. And Kirsten Cinema, right now. Well, and Kirsten Cinema is starting to make a, a name for herself, a senator from Arizona. So、uh, here's why this is important, and I just want to talk a little bit about reconciliation. It's a phrase that's thrown around, but reconciliation is not a way to pass a bill and beat the filibuster. Yes, you only need a majority, and it's the slimmest of majorities. The Senate is fifty-fifty, with the vice president being the tiebreaker. So, yes, you can get something through in reconciliation if every Democrat is on board, and that tiebreaker of the vice president rubber stamps it, basically. But reconciliation is not. Every bill is not eligible for reconciliation. You cannot pass new. Tax proposals, the way I understand it, it can't cover new ground. You can't exactly, exactly.、Yes. It's really just a way to make sure that budgets still get funded for ongoing programs. So you can't do a lot in reconciliation. And my prediction, Amy, is that the most important person in the next couple of weeks is not Joe Manchin, not Kirsten Cinema, but it's the parliamentarian of the Senate. The parliamentarian is the one that interprets the rules and says this piece of this proposed legislation is eligible for reconciliation or it's not. And you may see some big portions of this proposed bill not eligible, and then the whole deal falls apart. And stay tuned. Let's watch this. Well, there's a lot of people, Steve, that are watching this closely because as you look at this, okay, I'm worried about what this means for taxes, but also I'm worried about what this means. How do we pay this off? What's it going、yeah. to mean? Are you starting to get calls from people who are worried? And and if <laughs> if anyone's listening who who truly is, what's your advice? Um, it's a combination of market is at highs and what the heck is going on in Washington.、Right. If they pass some of this stuff, we're not going to be able to pay for it, and I'm worried about my money. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot of angst out there, and it's politically driven in in most cases. And I, I get that. And and you know, you and I are the first people to say, don't make investment changes based on your. Political emotions, never, yeah, yeah, never, no. I mean, headlines a, that are scary.、Yeah. Take a deep breath. I, yes, yeah. And, and I've met so many people, Steve, who will say, "This is happening, so I know what's going to happen. So now I'm going to do this in my,、yeah. you know, investments." And I'm like, "No, no, no, no!" Like no. you almost have to completely divorce. What you've done with your long-term planning for your future from any decisions that you're making on a daily basis,、yeah. whether it's something based on the headlines, based on your political viewpoints, based on what your cousin Eddie has said to you, doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, and and again, we're going to keep saying this: a proposal is not a passed bill; it's not legislation. So, yeah, get upset. I'm obviously not crazy about this, to say the least. It, you know, but I'm not going to make any changes because of what's being proposed. I I will say though, it always makes sense to reexamine your tax strategy. You know, and I'm not going to give tax advice, but you know, if you think taxes are going to be higher in the future versus lower. 
that's a pretty safe bet in my world. Yeah. You know, so we keep coming back to, okay, what are the, the best strategies for, you know, reducing your future tax liability, locking in the current potentially lower tax rate? You know, uh, we'll talk more about Roth conversions and deferring income and stuff like that. There, there are Roth certain 401ks. things you can do. If you've yeah. got a Roth 401k yep. option at Great work, tool. that... That might be something else you want to think about. One thing that we have not heard word one about in this proposal, anything about Social Security, you know, so I don't know, Steve, you've got all the faith in the world that maybe by the end of, you know, when when the trust fund runs out of money, that maybe uh, in Washington, they'll come up with some kind of compromise. But in the meantime, it's okay to start planning your financial future to get maybe 75 percent of your promise benefit. That's never going to hurt you in the long run. If you get 100 percent of it great that's right. kind of icing on the top right right yeah i mean bank on 75 percent. at least that's my attitude because that that's what is funded um the other 25 percent. well yeah they're they're gonna have to make some changes probably within the next uh six seven eight years i mean you know you see different estimates soon. of when yeah when the trust fund is going to run out but um yeah real real soon in washington when all other options have have gone by the wayside. They'll do the right thing eventually. Yeah, you know. So, um, yeah. They but they do have to tackle it, and it's not going to save us money. It's going to be more money going out the door on top of all these things. So, yeah. Um, I I just wish they would run Washington a little bit more like you run your household, I run my household. You can't keep spending major businesses. You right? can't keep spending more than you make. And and at some point, I mean, right now Japan is running its its na- total national debt. At 250% of gross domestic product. We're already over 100 here. And yeah. this is new ground. This is a grand experiment going on with nations exceeding previous limits of debt. And if it doesn't work out, we're in a whole lot of trouble. We haven't seen this kind of debt in our country since World War II. II. Yep. Yep. Here's the Simply Money point. The federal government, it's showing no signs of spending less anytime soon. So you may want to do some proactive tax planning for yourself today. When inflation runs hot, investing becomes more challenging on a number of fronts, especially if you're someone who's looking for what you might consider safe income. And Steve, in this environment right now where interest rates are low and inflation is running hot, if you are looking for a safe investment like a bond, it's tough. It is. And and this is a really important topic right now, Amy, because, you know, a lot of people don't understand bonds. They watch the market, you know, and that that's it's up, it's down. I'm happy. I'm sad, whatever. But there are five times more bonds out there in the marketplace than there are stocks, you know, people Mm -hmm. and people want some safety. and, And the problem is. You know, you're just not getting paid, and and that's nothing new. You know, there is there very little interest being paid on high grade bonds. So they're starting. We're starting to see investors migrate towards less than investment grade, which is a real nice way to say junk bonds. Junk bonds. Junk bonds. Yeah, and junk yeah. bonds. You know, used to be a bad word, but now you know they call them high yield. They call them you know yield enhanced, whatever the case is. Basically, a junk bond is a bond that has not been rated by any of the major agencies, or it has been rated and rated very low. And honestly, in a lot of cases, the companies issuing this debt, they're not even sure if they can pay you back interest. You know, so it it goes to the old Mark Twain quote of, I'm not just interested in the return on my money. I'm interested in in the return of Um, my my money, (laughs) you know? So, yeah, 
So um, be really careful right now because as yields have stayed low, as the interest rates have stayed low, investors are getting a little greedy and saying, you know, what, what's out there? What can I buy? Can I at least get 2% on something? And in some cases, yeah, you'll be able to find 2 and 3% bonds, but there's a reason they're paying more interest because that's the only way they can attract people to buy their bonds. Yeah. And fundamentally, you know, if you buy stocks, that's part ownership of that company. But if you buy bonds, you're loaning the money on the assumption that that company or the federal government is going to pay you back. And I think to your point, Steve, there's a lot of people who, you know, like the safety of bonds, but at the same time, you know, what you can get, you know, there's no guaranteed return on your investment, but obviously the safest investment is the federal government, right? And you can't get the returns there at this point and from the big strong companies well you're not out going to outpace inflation with the money that you're getting from those kinds of bonds and that has people seeking some kind of not shady but like just taking more risk and the interesting thing is if you're usually if you're investing in bonds you're not taking risks well yeah i mean the bond the average bond buyer is buying a bond for safety for, yes. for, you know, to, to not lose. Yeah, right? I, I think that and that's, you know, that appeals to the car guy and me. That's something I learned from Ed Fink. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what they are. They're a shock absorber. If you don't want to lose 15 percent when the stock market goes down 15 percent, put some of that money in bonds and, and you won't lose as much when stocks go down. Um, so, yeah, um, just because interest rates are low doesn't mean you, you should be looking at the higher risk bonds. It's OK. Take the lower risk bond to use as a shock absorber because that's what it's designed for. You know, some people like to make money in bonds. Just forget it. You know, treat them like a CD. When you put a uh, They're a tool, right? They're a tool for you. They are. And and when you buy a CD at a bank, you're not looking to make money. You're looking to get that money back and get a little better interest than savings. That's exactly what a bond is. And and the interest rates are going to kind of be the same. If you want to get that money back sooner, buy a six-month bond, you're going to get a lower interest rate than a 10-year bond. So, you know, just don't necessarily lend that money away for a long period of time to get a little extra rate and don't necessarily lock that money up with a risky junk bond either. Yeah, if you're looking at how can you buy bonds, well, we use bond funds at Allworth. So ETFs that that cover bonds, which gives you some diversification. Here's the Simply Money point. Bonds aren't paying much right now. Investment-grade bonds are still an important piece of what we would consider a diversified investment mix. Rigging the market... Well, maybe. This is the gold market and some huge banks, Deutsche Bank, HSBC, have allegedly manipulated the gold market for over a decade. The implications of this, Steve, how many people could potentially be impacted are huge. It's a really big deal. I'm surprised we haven't heard more about this. I first heard about it when people started receiving these notice of proposed class action lawsuit papers, and it's about a 20-page thick document, in the mail last week. And Steve, you know, what is this? Why did I get it kind of thing? Well, here's what's being alleged. I I mean, the allegation is Deutsche Bank, huge, huge bank, HSBC Bank, another huge uh, bank, that they were playing around with the price of gold for years and years, from January of 2004 to June of 2013, that they would participate in a five bank, five different banks would have a conference 
call before the close of the gold trading market every day for that nine-year period. And the allegation is that they would basically fake trades. They would manipulate. They would place trades and not execute them to drive the price of gold down in the last couple of minutes of the trading day. And HSBC and, and Deutsche Bank, they're saying, oh, no, we would never do that. But then they wrote checks for $102 million without admitting or denying guilt. So yeah. you don't write checks, you know, in my world at least, unless maybe you did something wrong. $102 million over a nine-year period. How many people invested in gold in some well, way, shape, or form? Well, so let's talk about this. Yeah. You could be eligible to be part of this class action lawsuit if you sold gold at any point. And I'm not talking about like you had in your home. You could have had an ETF, a mutual fund, whatever, with gold in it. Yeah. Um, if you sold that or sold any portion of that between January 1st of 2004 and June 30th of 2013, you may be part of that class. So it's huge. And back to Steve, your point here as to whether or not these banks are, are guilty of this or not, yeah. uh, a man from Deutsche Bank has, has gone to jail. I did He's go to going jail. to jail for, yeah, a year and a half yeah. because of his role in this alleged one manipulation. Person. One yes. person. Is, tell me again, um, is, is scapegoat two words or one word? <laughs> you, you know, I, I mean, it's it's if this really happened, this is a big Big deal. And $102 million to these two banks is pocket change. I, I mean, that's nothing to get rid of a problem. You know, so, you know, from an investor standpoint, if you're waiting for a monster check, I have a hard time with the math because $102 million after all these lawyers get their cut, what's left over for like any? $2 million? <laughs> oh, I, yeah, whatever it is. But, you know, uh, how many people invested in gold or gold ETFs or for nine years, including the Great Recession? I mean, a lot of people bought ETFs. So this isn't saying the ETF was a scam. This is not saying gold. It's saying that the price that all of these investments were based on, which was the daily price fix that was arranged by these five different banks, that that was played with. So, you know, how much is going to be left over after, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands, in my estimation, of of investors uh, file claims for this? Maybe a couple of coupons for McDonald's, maybe more. I don't know. We don't want to give legal advice, but if you get the paperwork, read through it, make your own decision. Um, But I'm just shocked that this hasn't been talked about more because it's a big allegation. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. As we talk about these allegations, two major banks manipulating the gold market for, you know, nine, ten years. And the result of that might mean if you you might be part of this class action lawsuit. Steve, what I hate about this is trust is at an all-time low for a lot of investors in the market. And gold is not exactly the same thing as the stock market, certainly. But listen, we've got ETFs that, you know, have a little bit of gold in them out there. So... When people are already somewhat untrust, you know, untrusting of the market, and yeah. then you hear about manipulation like this, uh, it's frustrating. Uh, sure, it is, and and this is not the first time Deutsche Bank has been pulled into something like this. Yeah. So, you know, you wonder what kind of regulations are, are what what are the regulators doing? You know, you know are, what's going you, on there? Are, yeah, yeah, are you telling me five banks have a conference call and set a price that the rest of the world is paying attention to and basing investments on, and nobody's? listening in. Nobody's watching what's going on. Nobody's monitoring trades. I mean, that's what I pulled out of the paperwork is there is very little, if any, regulation of these calls. It's ridiculous. I mean, some changes need to be made. I'm not a big fan of regulation, but you have to have some or else stuff like this happens. So they were either asleep at the wheel or there was no regulation. And if that's the case, it has to be changed and changed yesterday. 
If you are a potential member of this class action lawsuit, just make sure you're reading this paperwork closely, uh, going over it with others. But listen, also, you know, do not expect that you're going to get rich off of this. There's going to be way too many participants in this settlement for that to happen. Here's the Simply Money point. If you invested in gold and sold it during January 1st, 2004, between then and June 30th, 2013, well, you may be part of this class action lawsuit. When it comes to your career and looking for a new job, you've probably heard this before. You need a plan A and you need a plan B. But what about a plan Z? Yes, this is something you might need as well. Joining us tonight to explain what the heck are we talking about here, Carla Messer, Chief Results Officer at Bestwork. She's an assistant professor at Indiana University. Plan A, plan B, and plan Z. Explain what we're talking about here, Carla. Yeah, this is a new twist, isn't it? And I love the book called The Startup of You by Reid Hoffman. He was a co-founder and chairman of LinkedIn, and he talks about ABZ planning as the antidote to the what color is my parachute uh, kind of um, of movement. And he says, you know, you really need, instead of having, you know, marking down what it is that you do in your, your kind of sweet spot, you need an iterative, dynamic, changing plan, one that promotes trial and error. So your plan A is what you're doing right now, you know, what the, what the current work plan is. Your plan B is where you're going to pivot when your plan A needs an adjustment or maybe isn't working anymore. It might be your dream job or the thing you want to do next. And then plan Z is your fallback plan or what you're going to do if plan B fails miserably. This is something that you're certain reliable, stable plan if all your other plans kind of go to hell or uh, for many of us, it's going back to our parents' basement. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and I think there have been many of people, many people who have had to do that during this time. You know, the job market is different right now coming out of this pandemic than it was even, Carla, going into it. Why do you think in this current environment, ABZ planning is still critical? Well, honestly, this type of planning is vital to those in their 20s, just getting out of college as it is for those approaching retirement. And it allows you to mitigate risk by spelling out what your backup or life boy you know, kind of lifeboat plan is going to be if your efforts fail. And why I think it's really important right now is that we have a lot of disruption going on in our current job market, and individuals are really reevaluating what matters. Um, we have a lot of people working from home, and that's gained some relevance to workers. Um, but also the stigma of being laid off, of changing jobs, of being a gig worker, those types of things have disappeared. And in many ways, you know, we use the real estate term of a buyer or seller's market. Mm -hmm. and it is a seller's market right now. Employees have choices, and so it's a great time to be thinking about, what am I doing right now? What's working or not working? Should I be making some shifts or pivot to something different that's going to be a better fit for me? And then, oh, by the way, what's going to give me the absolute, you know, kind of faith to do that is knowing that I have this plan Z or my lifeboat plan so that if it fails, I can lean in on that. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC. We are joined by Carla Messer, Chief Results Officer at Best Work. Great insight onto any, for anyone out there looking at maybe a career change, um, looking at this job market right now. And one of the things you say, Carla, that's really important is career resilience. Explain what that is and how someone can build that. 
Really, career resilience is really important. It's uh, both an attitude and an action. It's kind of staying in this constant state of learning and connecting um, what is sometimes referred to as being in a permanent state of permanent beta, right? Always in a state of not quite ready yet. We're always looking for ways to to be better and uh, different. And, you know, there are lots of people who um, exercise career resilience around us. Anytime you see somebody who's made a shift in their career or made even small pivots and then eventually land some more difference. They have been in that mode of being career resilient. And in my own life, I moved to Cincinnati to lead up an office furniture uh, manufacturing distribution, and I moved into a career coach, then to a consultant and a university professor. I serve on nonprofit boards. All of those things are my plan A. I stay involved, but I have at least three options to fall back on at any given time as my plan Z. And that's how you stay afloat, is keeping options and always knowing where you currently are, what the tweaks are that you need to make in order to pivot, and then what is going to be my fallback. You know, Carla, as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking there's a lot of people who maybe you're in a job where you've been there a while, you're comfortable, you're not even thinking about leaving or what your plan Z would be, but you're saying regardless of how happy you are in your current job, you always need a plan Z. Absolutely. You know, I always know when somebody I haven't heard from for two or three years calls me that they're in career transition. And so if you're waiting for something to happen to you, and we know that there has been some volatility, we've had layoffs, we've had all kinds of craziness in the job market. And so waiting for something to happen to us is never the best plan, right? If we can get ahead of this by keeping our network strong, and I I, I have my last kind of tongue-in-cheek that they call me, they haven't talked to me in two years, and as soon as I see their numbers show up, on my phone, I know this person needs to network right now. Mm-hmm. Don't wait two years to reach out to the people in your network. Stay connected now while you can to people and let them know what you're doing, what your plan B is. Try to get a feel for the, the market and the kind of external factors that are driving decisions. We have a lot of industries that have been upended right now. And so it's uh, only smart to be thinking constantly about what, what would be the next thing for me. And you're talking about the fact that you need this ABZ planning regardless of what stage you are in in your life. But what about if you are close to retirement? What? How does it look then? Well... You know, hopefully for many people, um, that's an exciting time and they're looking forward to retirement, but yet maybe are still interested in pivoting to something else for whatever reason, either it's something more challenging or something less challenging as they approach retirement. But either way, the ABZ planning has power in just writing out where you are, stating out loud, this is where I'm at, here's where I see this going, and being thoughtful about both myself and about the marketplace and where I want to go. And then, you know, the, the part of this is about taking small risks. And many times as people approach retirement, they're looking at a second act. They may be wanting to try something different, a vocation, something that they're passionate about. And this is a perfect opportunity to try out maybe even like in the gig economy, putting a toe in, whether that is uh, getting involved in a board, uh, getting involved in a nonprofit, volunteering, other ways that you can expose yourself to what your plan B may in fact be. And, and I think you're talking about someone who's close to retirement who's looking to try something new. But, but what we see often is someone who's close to retirement who had no plans to leave the current job, uh, no plans to retire just yet. Maybe you're two or three years out, but the rug is pulled out from under you and the boss, you know, your position is eliminated or whatever, whatever that looks like. Uh, so even people who might be close to retirement who think you're going to retire from the current job also need a plan Z. 
Agree. I think that in the kind of work market, in the labor place market that we're in right now, it's important for us to say, what if? What if? What would I do? And I have a client who is in his early 60s. He's not really ready to retire, but uh, they may be ready for him to retire. And so right now, exploring what is next, what are the areas that you enjoy and will still bring you some intellectual stimulation, Perhaps you might still need financial, uh, you know, assistance and in, in, in meeting your financial goals for retirement. So really, this becomes a very personal planning process. And your plan B says, you know, what is this going to look like? Or your Z plan, right? Can I retire early and and uh, be able to do something radically different? And again, if you have waited to talk to financial planners and waited to talk about your dreams, now is the time to do it. Lay out your ABZ plan and know what you can fall back on while still pursuing something exciting, whether it happens to you or you choose to make it happen. Well, and I think having an ABC plan gives you control. So many times at Allworth, we have talked to you know people who've come through our doors who feel like a victim um, because this happened to them from out of the blue. They feel like the carpet has been pulled out from under them. Yet at the same time, if they had a plan in place, if you have a plan in place, you might feel a little more in control. Like you have a little more power in this situation. Okay, I wasn't expecting this, but I do have something that I can fall back on and a place to at least get started. Great advice tonight from Carla Messer, Chief Reserve. Officer of Best Work and an assistant professor at Indiana University. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. If you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend if you think they may benefit from it too. At All Worth Financial, we help you retire better.